This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Visit JabberjawMedia.com for more shows like this one. Today's show is sponsored by Blue Apron. For less than $10 per meal, Blue Apron delivers the fresh ingredients you need to create home-cooked meals. Check out this week's menu and get your first three meals free with free shipping by going to blueapron.com slash badchristian. Today's show is also sponsored by Distilled. You don't need to be a celebrity to look amazing. Get luxury-grade denim with the perfect fit starting at just $65. Go to Distilled, that's D-S-T-L-D, dot com slash badchristian right now and get $10 off your first pair. That's Distilled, D-S-T-L-D dot com slash badchristian for $10 off right now. You are now entering the Bad Christian Podcast. I'm talking about three, two, <laughs> one, one, one. Mm, ba, ba. A bad Christian, you know the Shaba, a rocker, a rocker, the Micah, y'all. Bad Christian in the house. Welcome to the Bad Christian Podcast. Live, Facebook, YouTube. Please join us on our YouTube. That's our new thing, everybody. Subscribership is going up there, and I hope you're enjoying it being a video show. Um, guys, I hope y'all are doing good. I am just a few days away now, probably less than two weeks away from having a new Carter in the family. I know that wow. that, gets, that gets crazy, man. That that baby's just in there. I know it, just uh, chilling and hanging out. It's and then, super weird. Yeah, and it's just going this to gonna immediately be... hate it when it uh, hate life when it sees you. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's it's something else. I'm not. I don't know that we're ready for. It. We're just trying to get this uh, the house ready and the, the place ready for my parents to come out and all this stuff. And it's really hard to to just think about having a kid and our, like I said, we have a tiny house. I work on it all the time with all my spare moments to try to optimize our square footage and get ready. We switch bedrooms so that the girls can have the big room and we have the little room. And, uh, it's just so hectic and loud at, at our house all the time that, and I like chaos, but it really is insane. It's about to get a lot worse. I was at Home Depot where I spend a lot of time is right Heck down yeah. the street. I go, you know, probably 10 times a week. I'm at Home <laughs> Depot on Saturday, and I go in there. And, well, first of all, we have one bathroom in the house, so I, I'll just figure I'll take a dump at Home Depot, right? If I have to go, right. I might as well leave the house to do it. So I'm at Home Depot going to get supplies and everything, and it's Saturday morning. Uh, you know, college football comes on early here, and there's right. watch ESPN. I put the app on, so I've got the Clemson game or whatever. Uh, I think I was watching the Clemson game at the time. And I just put it in my back pocket and listen. And so I'm in Home Depot. I'm shopping. I got my car. I go and use their bathroom. And I sit down on the toilet there at Home Depot. And I pull out my app. And I'm in this just quiet, calm yeah. stall at Home oh, Depot watching like college heaven, football friend. on Saturday. <laughs> and I sat there about 45 minutes and just watched football. <laughs> it was so That's nice. What I was going to guess. Yeah. I didn't that even, is awesome. Yeah, I did not. I didn't fool around at all. I just, I mean, I was working as far as anybody knows. I was doing hard, heavy work, spending money that I worked hard to earn, coming home to do labor, dirty yep. stuff all over the place. And I just, I was like, no, this is it. I'm just right here. This is it. Yeah. And I just sat there for, pro I sat there 30 or 45 minutes in the Home Depot bathroom without even an inkling that I needed to get out of there. I mean, I, I try to take the same advantage at my house. It's just such a safe place because <laughs> nobody's allowed to come yeah. in yeah. there. That's the only place where I can say you are not allowed to mm -hmm. come yeah, in Yeah, I get offended I mean, when the great. kids open the door. Like if I forget to lock it or something, I yell. I like, get out. Get out like, it's, it's my oasis. Yep. 
I get offended when they try to talk to me from the other side of the oh, door. No. I'm like, just leave me alone. It, I, I believe that's probably, and, and I remember our old uh, business manager, Ed Gold, this before we had kids or anything, he was like, man, I said, you got any tips when you get kids? Ed, and he said, yep, just your bathroom time will become your, like, haven, and you'll love it so much. And I think it's totally true. Spend time in the bathroom, and I think it might be the number one cause getting away from kids and loudness and is the number one cause of hemorrhoids. You sit on the toilet way too long. Uh, and it causes, yeah. So you, <laughs> so you sit there for 45 minutes, and it just causes you to have hemorrhoids. Oh, Dude, my, my feet will go to sleep. Sometimes I sit there for so long to <laughs> stay away from everybody. Like you can't even stand up. <laughs> you, you need Priscilla to come help you stand up. I uh, So y'all know, okay, so I'm, I'm still, a, I'm not rashy, but I'm still a little weird. But I've been able to work out again. I've been doing yoga again. I just want to quickly say, that yoga is just so great. Like I, I've made fun of it in the past. I beat up kids that were doing it. Uh-huh. I, I pulled up, there, gave them wedgies and all bullied stuff. Bullied people. I, I yep. Bullied. Oh yeah. I told them they were going to hell because mm-hmm. yoga's that Satan shit. And so I, <laughs> so I was totally wrong. It was awful uh, to do that. And yoga is great. Like I literally. So I have this thing just on a side and uh, uh, add to this story. Y'all know this, but I have this thing called scintillating scotoma that happens in my eyes where it looks, you know, like if you stand up too fast, you kind of black out. Well, I'll get this thing. If, if I go from light to dark room, sometimes it happens once or twice a year where I, like my eyes kind of go black and, and I just can't even see. And so when I first started happening, of course, y'all know me, hypochondria, I literally thought I was dying. I was like, I'm dead. That I can't, my eyes don't work. What is happening? They worked one second ago. I'm dead. Yoga is helping me. That happened to me today. I got this. And because I did yoga this morning. I stayed so calm during it that I just made it go away. Like I didn't, Uh I didn't like, usually I get really scared, but I'm able, the best thing about yoga is I think so much and I can't shut off my mind and I have to do things. I want to do things, get them done, get them done, get them done that yoga. You can't, you have to do the downward dog Uh and then hold the pose and do warrior one and warrior. And it's just, it really is a wonderful thing for your brain. Do you think it'll have long term effects on your personality i wonder oh please god like yes. if it's able to calm you down from hypochondria and something do you think there's a yeah. possibility that you doing yoga changes toby huh I, yeah you know what because i would say that the best benefit i don't think if i do yoga like i'm doing it that you would notice much difference in me physically i think i'd be maybe stronger core and balance and strength but i don't know if i would actually lose a lot of fat it's not really that kind of exercise, but I totally contribute to say it contributes to my mental health. Yeah, because, I mean, For one sure. of your qual- uh, distinct qualities is kind of freaking out about right. things, right? That, which is, is fun. It's funny. I like it. Yeah, I know, but there's, uh, that's what I'm saying. Because it makes me feel calm. Like, yeah. by contrast, I, I feel like a cool cucumber. I, maybe I kind of am that, but you freak out so much at little things. I, I really enjoy that, so I don't want you to lose that. Even if it's not good for you, it's still good I, well, for me. Well, you probably don't have to worry about that. I, I freaked out about I freaked out this week about uh, having sex with my wife, <laughs> and, we, and we have a great sex life. And what do you mean you freaked was, out? Was, okay, first of all, Joey, you and Priscilla were on Free Sex Podcast, right? Yeah, we were on there, and I made Priscilla cry. And on the podcast, she cried. Yeah. About sex? We talked about a sexless honeymoon night. We talked about a season where she really wanted it, but I was just too depressed, and I actually turned it down. Uh, we've had some, we've had some really up and down uh, seasons of sex for sure. Let me acknowledge that your voice isn't what it normally is, Joey. Yeah. Just so nobody thinks you're going through puberty part two. 
or anything that, like no, that. No, he what? he is. That's what that was the problem with okay. the sex. He's just now going through puberty. No, it's a lot of oral sex. And my mouth is okay. just tired. Oh my god! Okay. I'm sure Priscilla loves hearing. <laughs> that. Are you sick? What do you got though? No, I just I just developed like a, a cold. It just developed. Okay. Anyway, and I just wanted to excuse that your voice sounded weird, but yeah, just another Joey body flaw. But <laughs> like you okay. can't. So this time, all you were are is just alive. Like nothing bad happened, nothing internally, no kidney stones or anything. You're just normal Joey alive, and your throat went out. <laughs> throat <laughs> threw his throat out. <laughs> just threw as well. Okay, so good. Well, my my ear was bleeding a little Definitely bit. Definitely check out Free Sex. Great podcast. Really awesome. Love what they're doing over there. But so okay, so I have to admit right from the get go that mine and Jess's sex life is really good. I mean, it, for being 40 years old, I thank you for the confession. I have way more. Yeah, I have thanks. way more sex a lot than, than, to admit than I thought that. I would. But here's the thing: we're both super busy right now, right? And so, she's got a job. She's she's actually studying to be a personal trainer and to be a uh, you know, like she's learning yoga and all. I mean, bar and bar studio. I mean, she's just getting into unbelievable shape and learning all this stuff. And we have three kids, and we just moved to this new town. She also has a job that she she works as well outside of the. Uh, personal training stuff and education. So, uh, I, so we had sex. let's, let's still go back two weeks ago. We had great sex. Right. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, you know, it's probably about a week goes by. And so after about a week, I'm like, uh, you know, man, we need to, what's going on here. So I get the, you know, the old fashioned feeling. And so she, she was on her computer and, or something like that. And then she said, uh, I said, let's have sex. She's like, okay, we can have a quickie. I've, I've kind of had a headache all day. I was like, oh, well, we don't have to. She's like, no. And so I thought I was doing her, you know, a solid kind of, I was like, you know, I, I love you. We don't have to. But she was like, no, no, well, let's do. So we had a quickie. And then but she was like, yeah, I'm, okay, I'm going to go walk the dog. I was like, well, <laughs> I thought you weren't feeling good. What, what's going on? Why, why did we need a quickie? There wasn't a, like quickies are good. I don't want to complain about quickies, but kind of a quickie means there's a time constraint right it shouldn't mean let's just get it over with so i started feeling like well damn it maybe you know what's going on so after that happened i told myself i'm not having a quickie again no matter what right i'm not i'm not i'm not doing i'm not doing that i mean she you're never drinking a beer right, again right. You know, never swearing I, I again take, i take hard stances on some dumbass things and this was one of them right so i, I kind of wanted to share with y'all my thought process so that was a week ago this is okay? when you were up the, you got upset with your wife for, right. for having quickie yeah. with you when she probably didn't want to do anything at all Right, and you, so, so, you yes. took that purse as a personal insult. Right, so okay. my first, so my first, okay, so this is like a, a a week ago, like seven, eight days ago, whatever. Right, so we did this quickie thing. I'm like, man, that's kind of shitty. Well, I don't know. I just, <laughs> I, I, I'm complaining that my wife right, had sex with right. me. That's uh, yeah, I'll get it. So anyway, but I took it. I was like, so I I, I got mad, and uh, so my first thought was like, what. I don't understand. Like, I'm just, all this is internal, right? I never mentioned any of this to Jess. She still doesn't know. I haven't talked to her about this at all. Uh, but so my first thought was, hey, thanks for sharing. I was us. just mad. And I was like, why couldn't she, uh, does she know how much uh, fulfillment and joy, like m greater than the mountains and the skies and, and the beauty of everything, greater thing was if like tomorrow morning while I'm getting my coffee, if she looked me in the eye and said, tonight, I'm going to bone you unbelievable. As soon as the kids are in bed, <laughs> I'm going to bone you unreal. Do you know how good my day would be? Oh, yeah. Like, even if she didn't mean it, even if she was just saying it, like, I'm that dumb, I would just be putty, right? Yeah. I, I, I just true. would be. I just would be. So I was like, man, I mean, it's my thought in being mad is it's so easy to please me. <laughs> like, it's not, you know what I mean? Like, guys in general, the wiener, 
And, and if you can just get around the wiener a little bit, we are stoked. You know what I mean? Like, I, I mean, I don't even care. Like, you don't even need lingerie. You don't, I mean, women are, are more concerned about the way they look naked than men. If there's just nudity, it doesn't matter what it looks like. <laughs> I, a guy is stoked, right? It just doesn't matter. So after that, then I went, I moved to uh, my feeling. I started realizing the reason I was mad because my feelings were hurt. And I, you know, so I, once again, I go take it to the extremes and I started telling myself in my head, and maybe my wife doesn't love me anymore. <laughs> She's not pursuing me. <laughs> like, I, like that, that's the one thing. That's what I'm going to get to in a minute. But, like, she's not pursuing me. And why didn't she, like, come after me, like, the way I come after her? And, you know, I was like, gosh, that's kind of, you know, what, what, maybe we, we're losing it. Like, we're, apart. Uh, you know, yeah. we, we've been married 12 <laughs> years. And so, like, why, you know, what what's going on? And, and you know, so I was kind of pouting a little bit and, um, all that stuff. So then after that, my thoughts moved to, <laughs> this sounds really funny, to honoring, honoring myself and my dignity. <laughs> what are you talking what? about? <laughs> what in the world is going on? So she didn't pursue me. She, does, she has no clue any of this is going on. She's just living her busy life with our family, right? Mm-hmm. But I said, no matter what, if she doesn't pursue me, I'm not going to grovel. I'm not going to go. And I'm, I'm definitely not doing that quickie thing. And I'm not going to ask her for sex. She's going to have to ask me for sex. Yeah. Right? Okay. I, yeah, so, I know what you're talking about. I've so I was like, I'm, yeah. I, my honor and my dignity and my character. And, and, and so That's I just like for an apology, like when you get in a fight or something and you think I'm not apologizing and the other person right. has no idea that, that you think then like, I'm not even going to talk to her until she apologizes. And she doesn't even right. know that right. she yeah. owes you an apology. <laughs> and Jess is mine. We had sex recently and she didn't think about it and right. was busy and like, yeah, right. we'll, we'll have sex again. So this is not, if, and in fact, she probably easily, if I would have said, hey, let's have sex, she would have definitely done it immediately. It, was, it wasn't even like she, she's not yeah. holding out or holding a grudge or whatever. So it came down. This is probably three or four nights ago. She said she come like the football game's on or something like that. And it gets done. And she goes, which this reignited my, she said it was late at night. She said, you want to have a quickie? <laughs> <laughs> to which I you said, were offi- outraged. I was a, I, the offense was unbelievable. <laughs> and I just thought my dignity. And I said, no, I don't want to have a quickie. What a said, bitch. I yeah, tell you yeah. what. <laughs> I said, I, I said, I don't want to have a quickie. No. She said, she said, she said, you don't. I was like, no, I don't. She said, not interested. Oh. Uh, I said, uh, oh, okay. So were you pouty? Were you pouty? No, 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 no. So, so also through this time. So. Like with my dignity and stuff, I said, no matter what, I've decided that if we have a sexless marriage, that I'm going to treat her like a friend. We may sleep beside each other. But <laughs> if, if we don't have sex, I'm going to be friendly and I'm going to be caring and I'm going to try and listen. And, and you know, so Toby, let me clarify something in my head. So that there hasn't been a pattern and a buildup over like the last couple of months. This is one yeah. time uh, well, where she walked the dog after a quickie. <laughs> And you're talking about your dignity and never asking her for sex again. And your marriage is over. You got the blueprints drawn up for separate bedrooms. (laughs) He started the construction under there already. You nailed it. But, (laughs) (laughs) well, I'm just saying part of it is me thinking about her pursuing me. I will say, uh, and that's what I'm going to, we'll talk about that in a minute. Um, So after that, so I still try to be friendly. Hey, can I take the kids to school? What are you doing? You know, I talk, but I wasn't pursuing at all. And, but that old fashioned feeling just get starts getting, you You know, when you feel it and you're like, I'm not, I just, I don't, I don't know what to do. So it'd been six, seven, eight days or whatever. And, and so today during the day, kids are at school. I was like, I, I, I went downstairs and I said, we're going to have sex. <laughs> and she said, Oh, she said, Oh, you want to, you didn't want to the other night. I was like, 
no, we're going to have sex and it's not going to be a quickie. And she she said, well, she said, okay. I said, do you want to have sex with me? I said, are you, I said, with a tear coming down your eye. I said, do you want to, do you, I mean, you, am I for, if if you don't want to, then we won't. She said, no, I want to, I'm just working. And so I wasn't thinking about having sex right now at, you know, whatever it was noon or whatever. And she's like, yeah, but I'll have sex. And so then we had just amazing sex, and it was awesome. And I, but no, let me go back. After she said that, yeah, I'll have sex. I just unbelievably passionately kissed her, <laughs> like hand in the hair, and it and it worked. Like we were immediately, and we did have good sex. She knew that something. Obviously, she probably maybe I was kind of outwardly pouty a little bit. I didn't, I didn't think I was. I was trying to be the best, but all that to say, uh, I did learn something about this and okay so one thing i learned is obviously i'm looking at through the lens of what i think sex should be that's not fair to her at all i want her i do think it's fair that i should probably bring up more hey it's nice. i i I have realized more and more i think because this podcast and us talking so much i really i would have never guessed my love language is touch but it is my love language is like i realized is wiener touch a love language yeah, it is. Yeah, <laughs> but I'm I mean, because I know there's like, like words of affirmation and yeah. touch, and then the subcategory of <laughs> yeah. wiener touch. Well, it, yeah, well, erect penis right. wiener, yeah. erect wiener touch. Right. But I realized that like my friends, when I really do, like that's the people I really do hug, and like it, like I will, like for example, Priscilla, Joey's wife, hugs all the time, like crazy. I do because she is my friend. I do try to hug her. It's it's it, because of that. Like it's still a little bit awkward or weird. But my guy friends, I'm I will hug the people that are close to me and my wife. I do really value that. But I'm realizing that I can't. It, I obviously like sex is just a it, although it's an important part of our marriage. It's not the cornerstone of our marriage. And this were just thoughts. But I do think like it's something where I realized I'm glad that we waited that long because I actually had to work through all this stupidity stuff to get to that of. Wait a minute. My wife does want to have sex with me, and it's totally fine and great. Mm-hmm. But I had I had I, unbelievable I dialogue this entire week on just like yeah, <laughs> bitch. Well, you, yeah, yeah. Like, even though, you know what I mean. But it was totally wrong. I was just being. Oh yeah. You can just tell yourself in your head. Now this gets me to my point. What do you guys think about your wife pursuing you? Like, and when and when you want your wife to pursue you, let let obviously your wife, you know cares for your kids and takes care of you and may, maybe even fixes meals or works hard at her job or, you know, cleans out, whatever it might be, whatever she does in her way. But what do you guys think about the, the female pursuing you sexually? Like do, do your wives pursue you? And is that a needed thing? Like, is it like, I, I almost feel like it is like, I wish that, like I said, even if it was once a year at this point, if Jess said, Hey, I, I might just force that no matter what. The, on my birthday, you have to, as soon as I wake up, <laughs> say some nasty-ass <laughs> shit to me about what's going to go down that night. And that's all, you, that's all you I want, want for my birthday. You don't have to get me another damn thing. But when I wake up that morning, you, you, have, a prepared, you, you have a prepared, filthy-ass statement that, that I'll immediately go, oh, my God. Like, I want to be shocked by something it, nasty. It wouldn't lessen it, the fact that you commanded it to be so. No, it wouldn't. That's how dumb I. I would love it. <laughs> Why don't you? You, you just need like to. You go ahead and write it out for her and get a yeah. tele, teleprompter. It wouldn't matter to you. No, it wouldn't. Just hearing my <laughs> wife say just filthy ass shit about what she's going to do to me sexually. I, 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 I that would last me a year. I could. No, no worries. Yeah. 
Totally. But what about why women pursuing you? And do y'all's wives pursue you? I, I'd put it this way. You know, like so you said that it was five or six days and you were doing this pouty thing. I'm on about a five and a half years of pouting. <laughs> And I think it's going to pay off soon, maybe sometime after this baby. But I think she's going to start getting the the message soon. Matt Matt has five years of diary entries. That bitch, maybe it's me. No, she is a jerk. Well, I do love her, and she loves me this way. But, but I mean, what about, like, Joey, what do you think about that? Like, does Priscilla pursue you sexually? Well, and do you value I, that? My genuine answer on I, that before Joey answers, though, is really not not directly. No, I mean, it, there's nothing not not in the way you're describing that you would want on your birthday or anything like that. And I do think there's stuff that she does that she would consider yes. opening herself to me or yep. whatever that I, largely, especially if you know me, and I, I miss a lot of cues there. Right. So I'm I'm assuming there's more going on that she's putting out there that I'm not picking up on. But in in an overt way, no, that's not the dynamic of our sex life. Yeah, I would say, yes, I value her pursuing me a lot. And I think it would help our sex life tremendously for the long haul. She does pursue me sometimes. And here's where I think I err is I shouldn't expect her to pursue me as much as I pursue her. I would like that, but the same, I mean, that I would also have to put myself in the same position of, well, then I should try to connect with her emotionally the same amount of times that she tries to do that. Well, I, I'm just not going to do that as much as she wants. But I totally, totally would love for her to pursue me more, of course. Yeah, that's what I would. I, mean, I definitely yeah. value that. That's where my thoughts went. And then I was like, well, wait a minute. My wife, like you said, I think that my wife, or like, like Matt said, I think that my wife does pursue me in ways that I don't pick up on as much. You know what I mean? Like she does. And she's, my wife kind of is like a provider mentality. Like she loves providing for like in a sense of making sure our family's well taken care of and that things are done and she does things and and it has made me a way better man. So one of my thoughts that I got was like, it would be if Jess was as sexually minded as me, her marriage and our life would be worse. It really would be. Which is, you know what I <laughs> Your mean? kids wouldn't eat. Right. Your kids would never get to school on time. <laughs> yeah. I'll tell you I'll tell you what I mess up a lot and I hate this is I always want to uh prove to Priscilla that I don't always need sex and me touching her doesn't always <laughs> yeah. have to lead yeah. to sex. And so I'll start giving her a big rub down and then I'm and like with now I it, have to right, cuz you're telling yourself you go I'm a, I'm just going to do this just to prove that I don't have to but then it still exactly, happens anyway. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And then I'm just like now I really yeah. want it. <laughs> it's so frustrating too because that should be a compliment to your wife like you're just touching your wife's shoulders like gets yeah. you unbelievably out of your mind. That's <laughs> right. I mean that, that's that's true. That's what I'm saying like I it's been 12 years. I've been I've known Jess now like 14 years. Hadn't had sex with another woman but her. And I'm still just as happy, like just seeing her in clothes or out of clothes. Could, I couldn't be more happy. Well, could you know, not I don't be know more if it happy. makes you feel better or worse, but you know, based on based on all of that, you you must be. I feel like even talking the way you're talking, we're talking. I always try to bring up the rear and make mine sound a little worse than it is. I don't want people to feel bad, but my belief out there is that those the numbers and the way it really goes from a lot of people is not so good. Like. I'd put right. you in the 90, probably in the high 90s percentile right. of healthy, good, enjoyable, both parties kinds of thing. And then, you know what I mean? I just think most right. people, the, the, that bell curve's got a really big, fat, low middle to it where a bunch of most people aren't very happy. And I don't, yeah. think, I, I don't think so. I, I have really have wondered this. 
uh, I don't think this women are uninterested in sex, maybe less than men or whatever, but I do wonder what that is. Like, like for example, why would you want to go walk the dog more than have sex? Like as far as (laughs) as exercise or whatever, I would never think of that. You know what I mean? Like my, would you ever think to go walk Reggie or have sex? Which one would you choose? You know, the, the weirdest thing I can say for me about sex is that, and I don't know how to understand this exactly, but I feel really out of body about, about it because it's su- to me it's such an animal thing, and then my normal life is very cognitive or cerebral, like I'm thinking, analyzing, whatever. When I have sex, I almost can't remember it. <laughs> <laughs> like, like after it's over, I always try to say, "Wait, did 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 you enjoy that? Did you even like?" I don't have thoughts. Like I'm not there, and then I go. You just go psychotic. Yeah, no, it's just like I turn into some an, do some animal thing for a while, like and a then afterwards I go, wait a minute, I go nasty ass. I say, shit damn it, right I there, forgot boy. to enjoy that and think about it, and you know, like observe it when it was happening, and just, oh man, I did had sex five minutes ago. I'm, I missed it. That's why I almost always Toby, feel. <laughs> Matt put Toby in such a minority category, which I agree. But Toby, you're also in a minority of dudes that don't love quickies yeah no that's weird you no, know how many lo- guys yeah. would love just to ah, get it over no, with and, oh, i'm done no, that's what i'm saying like I, I that was more of me going no I, I that was me wanting her to pursue me more than not enjoying right. it of course i totally I, totally yeah. and i and i think and i think uh females another thing that they should take as a compliment the only thing that you and i when we talk about quickies don't like about it is because we don't see as much desire from her. It's almost like they're doing us a favor. Yes. And that's not near as enjoyable. Yep. They should take that as a compliment, not as us being insensitive or anything like that. Yeah, that that is the biggest turn off to me. If you're just having sex because, like, I'm your husband or something like that. Like, I, like it is a turn on that a woman wants sex. You know what I mean? Like, like a woman that wants that, that you're like, whoa, that's, that's pretty hot. I mean, so let me ask you this, Toby, let me ask you this then. What if Jessica, you, you can't fault her for this. What if she went through a whole year or two where she did not desire it? Would you still want her to have sex because she truly loves you and wants to please you? Or you would just rather forego it altogether? Well, uh, that would take a lot of conversation. I would hate if I was like, she was just doing it and didn't like it. You know what I mean? But at the same time, I don't like taking out the trash. I don't like cutting the grass. I <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, if that's the case, our yard's going to look like shit. And I don't know what's gonna look, the garbage can's going to look like. But, yeah, we don't have to have sex. Yeah, Bridget tells me that all the time. Say, honey, I don't want you to do anything you don't want to do. I know you don't like packing lunches for George. I understand that. I don't. <laughs> Uh, anyway, I do think overall, like I, I wrote down all these thoughts I had in, in like not a journal, but just kind of wrote them down. And I do think men, I should think about sex less in a way of uh, the pleasure aspect and stuff like that. And I did want to think of it. That's what was really cool. The biggest thing I did learn was I needed literally like seven days to really process my thoughts to realize, wait a minute, my wife is awesome. I'm building up these thoughts and letting like thoughts in my head like she might not love me anymore or that she doesn't want to pursue me, which is not in her head at all. She's completely unaware of it. And as soon as I asked her, she was down, like, it, it, you know, in the middle of the day. So I, uh, it, I need to take time. 
before I say things. <laughs> <laughs> a week. You need a week yeah. for everything. Yeah. A week so, and some yoga and some journal journaling before yeah. before you react on something. Yeah. Slow but it down. That, but that's funny. That's kind of what females do. <laughs> they wait a week, they journal, they go to yoga, they go to church, and then they'll talk to you about their feelings and stuff, you know, what they really feel. Maybe that's I'm t- I'm tapping into my feminine side for sure. So all right, All right. Are we, uh, we're going to uh, bring on our, our good buddy here. Yeah, let's talk to Science Mike here. Let's take a break, yep. pay, pay some bills, talk about yeah. some awesome sponsors we have, and we'll be right back with Science Mike, Mike McCard, who has a new book out called Finding God in the Waves. Awesome book. I read it, and we'll talk about it. We'll be right back in a few minutes. Cool. Okay, guys. Blue Apron's mission is to make incredible home cooking accessible to everyone. And I want to stop right there and say that is one of the most true statements a company, a business, a corporation, an organization has ever said that was that true. They make home cooking unbelievably accessible, unbelievably easy, and it's great. Like, I mean, it's not like a quick meal, like macaroni and cheese that you pop in in the microwave. These are real meals. Mm -hmm. Great, amazingly flavorful meals that there is no way on earth I could have ever made anything like this at all. And now I I seem like a chef. That's right. We have people over and cook some Blue Apron meals and they're like, whoa. You know, it's kind of a thing where I almost don't want to tell them that it's Blue Apron Mm because I look so cool. Like, Blue Apron makes me look awesome, and I love it. It's a great—they're a great sponsor, a great corporation, but the biggest thing about it is it is true. Everything that they deliver is just great. Let me just tell you a couple things. Blue Apron has established partnerships with over 150 local farms. Blue Apron can be delivered to 99% of the continental U.S. and 99% of food deserts uh, because Blue Apron ships the exact amount of each ingredient ingredient, uh, required for a recipe. They are reducing food waste Mm -hmm. and cooking together builds strong family bonds. That is true. I like Matt and I were talking a little bit before the podcast. I love hanging out in the kitchen. It's like one of my favorite things to do, just standing there or I sit on the counter. I'd almost would rather not even eat at the table, but cooking with our whole family and teaching our kids how to cook and showing them that we're using these flavors and these spices and these great ingredients is so good. So let me tell you a little bit. Uh, Here's some of the meals that are available in September. Paprika spice shrimp and cheddar grits with tomato and sweet corn. Spicy hosein chicken stir fry with baby bok choy and sesame ginger cucumber salad. And that's just to name a few. Well, yeah. So check out this week's menu. And But here's the thing. This is why it's just absolutely insane if there's even one person out there who hasn't done it yet. They give you your first three meals free. Not one, not two, three. So you know, imagine how good you feel when a buddy calls you and says, hey, I want to take you out to lunch today. Do you know how awesome that is? You'll get in your yeah. car. You'll drive somewhere to go meet them. And it doesn't even matter. You just feel so great because the meal's on somebody else. Well, not just you, but your whole family and three meals. So take our friend up on this offer and let Blue Apron send you three free meals. It's free shipping too. All you got to do is go to blueapron.com slash badchristian. You'll love how good it feels, tastes to create incredible meals in your home. That's blueapron.com slash badchristian. Blue Apron, a better way to cook. All right. Next sponsor is a new one, and this one kicks ass. And that's not their words. That's mine. Kick ass. Now, ass specifically because uh, it involves the ass. This is jeans. I got a new pair of jeans from a new company called Distilled, and they spell it a little different, you know, the thing without the vowels in it, but a little different than that. D-S-T-L-D. 
D-S-T-L-D. They call it, they pronounce it distilled, and they make some jeans. Um, do y'all have the copy? I'm going to set up if anybody's looking at me and show my jeans. As you're looking at Matt's awesome jeans, and uh, I got my pair today, too, and they're just so great. The problem with jeans is that even really good, it, when, when you get a really good pair of jeans, they are super expensive. They can cost literally like $200, $300 or something like that. I hate that. I never do it. I end up getting crappy jeans from, from mm-hmm. some big store, and it just, and it never fits right. What's the it most expensive pair good. of jeans? You've never had a $200 pair of jeans or even no. 100 have you? No. I've no, always I, like, wanted to. I always thought, man, if I could just get some of those jeans, I bet it would look good, but I just can't pull the trigger. I'm not going to go to some department store and, and right. pay $200 for jeans. So I've always had about a $50, $60 limit on jeans. Thus, I've never had a nice pair in my life until now. <laughs> Literally, I buy a $35 pair of jeans and Jess calls them my dad jeans. And I feel <laughs> <awful. laughs> well, here's the thing, Toby, that's great about Distilled is they have luxury grade denim starting at $65. $65, which Amazing. is in my price range. I've just never right. been able to have this quality of denim before. And denim is a big deal now. I mean, there's people all over the place in it. They, they've got A-list celebrities been spotted in these things in Vogue and GQ wearing distilled jeans. And, you know, it goes all the filters all the way down to like C-list celebrities like me or D-list. What, <laughs> what list celebrity am I? F-list? I, yeah, I think you're down there like M or yeah, Elemental Pretty low. But even, you know, even me, I've got a pair. They're amazing. And here's the thing about it. Another company that does an awesome thing and goes, cuts out the middleman direct to you. Yep. In fact, this is their word, not mine. They refuse to work with department stores and all that stuff to keep the prices low and have special, good, luxury-grade denim to you at a real price that you can afford and get in on the action. So here's what you do. You go to dstld.com slash badchristian right now, and you get $10 off your first pair. So seriously, quite affordable, great product. I love mine. I'm going to wear them every day. That's dstld.com slash badchristian for $10 off right now. Five letters, dstld.com slash badchristian. One more today, and this, oh, yeah. is, this is a good one too. Y'all heard of the band Fit for a King? Oh, I've heard of them. Love them. Yeah. Love them. We've done some stuff with them before. They're very good. They're one of those heavy bands. Y'all like heavy music? Have you aged out of it, or can you still get down with some heavy music? I've aged out for the most part, but I'm listening to it more now with that new Norma Jean and, honestly, Mm -hmm. with this band. Yeah, I'm back. All right. Well, let's. uh, I'll tell you what we like to do is play a little bit of the song. This is is from their uh, upcoming fourth full-length album. Solid state band, of course. So uh, I got some more details about them, but let's listen to this song. It's called Cold Room. Let's listen to a little bit of it here and see see what you think about it.
Well, that song's called Cold Room. It's from their fourth full-length album on Solid State. And I'm gonna, they're going to be out on tour with uh, supporting Beartooth and Every Time I Die in October and November. That is a huge step for them. That's going to get them a ton of exposure. Those bands are nice. good, really, really good bands, big fans. That's a tour Seriously. you're not going to want to miss. The album's called Death Grip, and it comes out on October 7th. And you can pre-order it right now at fitforakingband.com. Thank you for real to Solid State. What an amazing partnership we've had with them over the years with our music and being friends with them. I really think you should support Solid State and Tooth and Nail because they're so awesome. They do so much business with us and continue to put money and resources into our podcast to share this music with you. Really, really thank you to those guys. And Fit for a King, great band too. So that's, that's it. All right, let's see uh, if we can get Mike up here. And this is crazy. Yeah, it is. I was just watching you on Facebook, and I was wondering what the delay was like. But it's pretty much, hey, let's call Mike, and then it starts ringing. <laughs> no, it's real close. Yeah, it's not bad at all. <laughs> no, that's cool. Well, welcome to the show, Mike. You ever do? You don't. You don't do much video podcasting. I know your podcast all the time, but you, you've ever done any TV or much? This stuff will be the first video? one I've done uh, video for sure. Excellent. As you can see, my office is the dog kennel uh, in our house. So <laughs> that's what I was getting ready to ask you. What is this the area of your house where you work a lot? Yeah, it is. Sadly, the best view is this way. Cause I work at a window. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, we've got a four bedroom house and this is the office slash dog kennel. So thanks for joining the show today. We got a bunch of stuff to talk about in it. And I, you know, I guess the main thing is your book, but, and I want to talk about that before that I want, we, I wanted to go through one, uh, set of questions with you here. And that is, uh, we were just talking about it before. We were just, did you watch any of the before? We were just been talking about sex. Oh yeah, I watched the whole thing. Okay. Yeah. So what is it that you think we're missing with the difference in men and women and sex? And also, here, here's where I'm going with this. Um, we, we always talk about the future and crazy stuff and life. I was doing some stuff about life extension. And so for our audience, I wanted to focus on life extension and sex. Combine those two. <laughs> yeah. If we were going to live for 500 years, do you think humans, based on who we are genetically, where we're at, do you think we would be able to stay monogamous? Do you think your marriage and the general marriages out there are going to hold up if we, if we start to live decades and longer or centuries longer? Well, first of all, we don't really have a precedent for what human sexuality looks like past 120 years, right? Mm-hmm. Well, first of all, sex is part of, those are linked. Uh, typically people who um, A, are, are in monogamous relationships tend to live a little bit longer. Hell yeah. Uh, sex tends to lower your risk of certain illnesses and particularly some cancers. So Joey, that's why you get so sick. oh that's low but then you know it depends on what we're doing to extend human life and the difference between extending lifespan versus health span Mm -hmm. but we kind of understand that people have different genetic propensities towards monogamy that are then reinforced or not by their circumstances Mm -hmm. so a lot of that's going to depend on your genetic composition and your life experiences biologically humans are uh, certainly much less promiscuous than gorillas, or excuse me, much more promiscuous than gorillas, but l- much less pr- promiscuous than chimpanzees. Mm-hmm. Gorillas are basically monogamous. Uh, chimps are basically never. Wow. Humans appear to be biologically kind of right in the middle of those spots. It would be interesting to see, some, some biologists make an argument that humans are basically serially monogamous, that we have a real tendency towards uh, a monogamous relationship with a rhythm of between 15 and 22 years. 
And so you can imagine mm -hmm. one possible thing with that kind of longevity would be partnerships that lasted from 15 to say 45 years. Um, but if, if you have some people who are very, very sort of innately monogamous and that monogamy is not a real struggle for them, I, I don't see any reason why you couldn't have a 500-year partnership if people live that long. <laughs> <laughs> see, I'm, I'm yeah. with you on the, on the prediction. Well, I don't know if that's your prediction, but mine would be that it would be a very, very small amount of people that would make it. Like, maybe you can make it to that finish line and be married 50 or 60 years knowing that it's a finish line. But if it wasn't... Like if you if you thought if you knew that it was going to be for centuries or hundreds of years, it, I think you may see a pattern where it's just like contractual partnerships that you do serially. Like it may not; it just would be they last fifty years, and then you're or maybe it's every ten years you're up for a new contract, or you just say I did this for fifty years and this for seventy years, and it just seems like there'd be no way to make it long term that way. I think it depends on your relationship values and your outlook. I mean, you're 16 on my marriage, and it still feels um, easy and natural. And uh, I certainly forecast a 60, <laughs> if I live that long, <laughs> a 60-year marriage with my wife. Yeah, We've been through some difficulties as a couple, and I think good relationship skills play every piece in the longevity of a marriage. How honest are you? How vulnerable are you? Um, how well do you uh, live among disagreements? Some studies have shown that... Uh, People who disagree and don't resolve disagreement are more likely to stay married long term. Mm -hmm. And then in an intentional focus, statistically, they, kind of the number one predictor of marital success over time has been the ratio of positive to negative interactions. And in very long term and stable marriages, if you have five positive interactions for every one negative interaction, that's a prediction for a very long, uh, lifelong marriage. The, the prediction for almost certain divorce is if you have like 0.92 positive for every one interaction. So a slight statistical nod towards negative interactions breaks relationships. Mm -hmm. And so I think understanding that much about human cognition and human sexuality, if you're honest, if you're vulnerable, if you focus on chemistry, and if you intentionally make sure most of your experiences with your spouse are positive, I don't see why you couldn't engineer a 500-year marriage. That's true. We get some practice in more than like that, if you knew it. I'm coming back. Give me a second. Skype takes just a little bit to buffer. Is it sounded better yet, or I still sound like Max doing yeah. a Coke Is It Sound like Mad Max, or yeah, Max, Max Headroom. For Max sure. Headroom. He also sounds like, <laughs> okay. like Conky on Pee Wee's Playhouse. And y'all sound good to each other? Is it just me this bad? No one knows what you said. I think you're drunk now. <laughs> I got, I got drunk. drunk when it cut out. Yeah. 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 It's like a robot Mike, that had too many shots. There, Mike, Mike, when when AI happens, will they be able to get drunk? <laughs> will there be a such thing as robot drunk? Uh, you could certainly, uh, it depends on how we create digital consciousness. But if you use neural networks and you were to use some sort of substance that affected those you know, artificial neurons the same way our neurons and are affected, that would assume we have some chemical component to digital consciousness. Yeah. It would be plausible. Or if uh, our consciousnesses are completely digital neural networks, yeah. you could emulate the effects that alcohol has yeah. in the brain and execute that in a digital mesh. Uh, I would think it would be a lot of work, though, a lot of extra work uh, beyond creating consciousness to give it a propensity towards drunkenness. But they'd probably be mad if you didn't. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. I, well, last question I, I have here before we start getting into some more stuff. But I always talk about this. 
I fully believe, because we were talking about sex before. Well, one thing I, we didn't get to say because we messed the, the internet messed up. I can't imagine right now the look on people's faces if somebody said, hey, guess what, everybody? We all live 500 years. What would each married couple look at each other? Jess and I have already talked about this. Oh, that's... Yeah. It would be so amazing if you could if you said right now you live five hundred years yay what what would married people look at most married people it'd be crazy Jess already told me we're done she said oh, we'll probably make it one hundred fifty <laughs> we might go two hundred years she says that she doesn't think that we'll now the other thing about that too is I'm assuming going back there that when that'll be a gradual thing so people will live longer. Like us living a, that much longer now, we we have no con- like you said we have no concept of it. So it would be super bizarre for us to all of a sudden live way longer like that. I like not only just say with marriage or sex, but with any like your job, your career, everything will change. Like it'll just be unbelievable. And then I guess do you think that would lead to uh, population control? Like I mean, with that yeah, that longevity has all kinds of uh, questions it raises about sustainability. First of all, there's not one factor that makes us age. It's a, it's a relatively poorly understood set of interactions across an organism that cause aging. Especially, uh, the aging process is 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 pretty especially complex in Homo sapiens. Uh, there's a genetic component. There's hormonal components. There's tissue components. Um, there's epigenomic components. There's a lot. There's a lot happening there. There's neural degeneration. So there's a question: if you could revitalize cells uh, in in organs and tissues and muscle, uh, eventually would the brain just wear out? And so you yeah. have a healthy body, mm-hmm. but a brain that's, that's still having onset dementia and, and falling into disorder. So, uh, it's something you would imagine would take multiple generations and you would again, see that kind of gradual shift into longevity. But I think that it does raise an interesting point. What would a, a four or five or a thousand year, um, lifespan do to our culture? I mean, just the baby boomers having a, you know an extra 15 or 20 yep. productive years has dramatically impacted Generation X and the millennials uh, in terms of economic empowerment, job opportunity, uh, growth opportunities. And now if you start keeping people in the workforce an extra 100 years or 400 years, uh, you could really have some, some serious societal strife, especially because those people who were the first to benefit were their peak earning years uh, would potentially be in a situation where they would disproportionately gain an advantage from that longer life. And the subsequent generations would just be very poor for a long time. So it's pretty difficult to model economically uh, what those kind of lifespans could do to the species. Not to mention that we could be in a situation right now, if you look at the direction of science, where we get in a situation where we're really good at preserving life, but we haven't been great at preserving the climate and the health of the biosphere. So if you have, mm-hmm. it won't matter if we've solved tissue aging, if we can't solve food production and climate. You're right. That, yeah, that, that's totally. hilarious. Like somebody goes, we are now going to live a thousand asteroid. North Florida is underwater again. Yeah, here right? comes the ocean. Yeah, yeah. You're right. <laughs> yeah. Like, Long lives and coastal flight well, would be a bad combo. All right. Well, you still got me thinking here. You just said this, and I, I think that is so interesting. It, ma- it made me start thinking like longer life doesn't necessarily equate to uh, joy or, uh, you know, happiness or a better life, maybe. How do you think that, take that in, wh- what is your take on, like, eternity in heaven then? How, what, I, I, I know this is a humongous question, and if you can answer it, not in a humongous answer, I guess, cause, just because I know, but what, 
Uh, li- living forever is that going to is that like a true benefit of heaven? I don't tend to think of heaven and the afterlife in temporal terms. Now, obviously, let me be very clear. I don't know what happens when we die. Let Let me guess one further than that, Mike. I bet you don't do a lot of thinking about heaven itself. Anyway, that's like what great point. the contents of heaven, <laughs> right? Is that, am I correct about that? You're totally right. Yeah. I've thought about it some only because people ask on the show a lot. Right. Uh, but I, I tend to have a very uh, now focused interpretation of the gospel. But yeah, in terms of what I understand about the origin of our universe, uh, physics would tell me that there's not a lot of temporal component to the singularity the universe came from. And relativity would tell me that my experience of successive moments or slices of time is pretty illusionary, that all coordinates of space-time exist all the time. So number one, it's very possible there's no such, like there's an end of life or beginning of life are both kind of illusionary things. They're a particular way of experiencing a set of coordinates between two points in space-time. And in that way, I tend to think of my faith when I think of an afterlife I tend to think of a reunification with God. And if you kind of think of that movie Interstellar, when he goes inside the black hole, there's this metaphor of of interdimensional space uh, that um, the lead character kind of sees. But it's just a metaphor because what he's he's saying can't be experienced by human senses because it's not even based on linear time. And I would expect Mm -hmm. that the kind of eternity we talk about in conjunction with heaven is much more of an eternity of physics and is also not causal and non-temporal. So you wouldn't experience the passage of time the way we do here and now. Yeah, I kind of tend to think of heaven, any heaven uh, pontificating is almost entirely nonsense. Yeah. Like if you even, if you, because all you have is five human senses, but think about all the other possibilities and realities when you're not bound by the focus depth of your eye or how much you can hear or what if you, you know, think of all the other things that exist uh, in in a reality or even a different reality than this. So you couldn't even think about, I mean, you couldn't, you'd have no frame at all if there's more out there than what we have with our five senses. What if you had, oh, I don't know, 785,000 senses instead of five? Yeah, yeah, or or even forget senses, just the clock itself. Right. So now t- talk about heaven or what you're going to do there is nonsense. I'm not saying it's not; it doesn't exist. It's not real. It won't be good. But hell, if I know anything about it, I mean, well, I mean, yeah. I'm agnostic to the what heaven could be like. I think it's absurd to even. I mean, I mean, no, I know you the Bible be complain- says some you're stuff not about be complaining it, but- if it ends up being you know thirty virgins. <laughs> yeah, but, hey, I was hoping for 70 or whatever, as long as, as, you know, whatever. But yeah, exactly. I think anything in the Bible that tells what it is has got to be relatively meta- metaphorical anyway, right. because it's not like you could explain it in, in a text, not because it's an old text, because any text couldn't contain it in, if you try to describe it from any point yeah, of view. That's a, that, that's a great way of saying that too, Mike. I, I love how you said that, like uh, our idea of life beginning and ending, like somebody said this, I don't know if I saw it on a movie, y'all might've heard that, but like I, like, why do we think we can go like this way with life, death, and then keep going? But we don't think about before. You know what I mean? Like, like we don't even think about the other direction. Oh, like, go, pre, goes both ways. Pre-Toby, what I think I am in my reality. So I, I like think that's that's a really good way. Sorry, Joe, I think I interrupted. No, I was just going to say, I know we need to, I, I want to get into the book soon. But yes or no, Mike, time travel, is it possible? It's totally possible. A, you're traveling through time right now. <laughs> Busted. B, we understand that to ha- experience time at a different rate than someone else, 
you need only change your relative velocity or enter a very steep gravity well. So Einstein's theory of relativity tells us that the passage of time is not consistent across all points in the universe. And so totally, you can travel forward through time at different rates. The people on the space station right now are experiencing the passage of time at a different rate, very, very slightly, but still a different rate than we are, are traveling through time. If it's possible to um, create wormholes that are large enough to pass a human being through, uh, one thought experiment that uh, Brian Greene proposes is if you took a spacecraft that could travel some significant fraction of light speed and you had it on the Earth and you opened a wormhole on that spacecraft that basically went to the landing pad, but then you had the spaceship take off and fly towards another galaxy at very, very near light speed and then turn around and fly back. Uh, thanks to the relativistic effect, on that spacecraft, say eight or 10 years has passed, but on the Earth, 20 or 30 or 40,000 years have wow. passed, but that wormhole wow. remained open the entire time. At that point, you would have two ends of a wormhole that were very close together spatially, but were separated temporally by say 20,000 years, and that would be a form of time travel. The problem is with that scenario, one, the amount of energy it would take to propel a spacecraft that quickly is completely unfathomable to us today as well as the amount of energy required to open a wormhole large enough for a person to fit through. But the physics is plausible in how we understand um, how, some of our, our, our untested mm -hmm. theories about space-time. Now, 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 in church, they, they told, told me that, that wormholes are a tool of the devil. devil. Is that true? Or... <laughs> <laughs> that was probably a uh, true love weight stock, though. <laughs> so y'all might not know this as, as well as I do because uh, uh, Mike, Toby, and Joey didn't get your book in the mail like I did. Okay. But in all fairness, I got two different copies, but I only read it once. But I got a copy a couple months ago, and I got another one last week. But sorry, Toby and Joey. I'm not ratting them uh, out because they didn't even have the opportunity to read sure, it. That's, yeah, but, like a, I'm ordering But mine. Mike, if you don't know, uh, grew up in a very uh, – legalistic and conservative church, which is a, a big part of the story. I know you guys are familiar with Mike and some of his story and stuff like that, but one of the things in that book that really stood out to me is in the period where you became a, a closeted atheist. When you were describing that uh, period, I just couldn't help but think of how, like, just lonely and creepy that was like it, you didn't use i don't think those well, you might have said lonely but i kept feeling like it was so creepy like you were having to go on these online chat rooms and meet with these other people and stuff like that and i wish there was even more in the book uh, about that but what was that did, did it feel was there a deviant creepy feeling about that like I, I don't think that it was i'm just saying did it feel like you were doing something bad like uh in, indulgent in doing that yeah there's a lot of shame involved sure so it was like you were compelled to do this thing that was felt like it was shameful because he was like a closeted atheist. He was do, teaching Sunday yeah. school and all this stuff, but he himself was atheist. So he'd go in these chat rooms to try to meet other people just to talk. Wow. And that's what you were forced <laughs> into doing, which is mind-blowing. I mean, not that that is deviant behavior, but the fact that your culture that you were in actively, that was the only way that you could express yourself. Just that blows me away that that, that, pressures there from the the culture at large that you are in that would force you to have to do that that i just think that was so creepy and mike just for context your book is an in in-depth story 
that you shared on the liturgist podcast, I think episode seven or something. I mean, six and seven are lost and found. Yeah. And that's the story of me being a Southern Baptist, becoming an atheist, and then returning to a more mystical faith. But that's only half the book. Okay. So the story people have heard only takes you through, you know, the first 140 something pages. Wow. All right. But, but tell me about that time though. When, what was that like doing those chat rooms? Like what were, what were you in, like, what would you do when you would go in and talk to other atheists? Like what was that chat about? Well, the thing I fell apart, you know, God was the most important thing in my life. I, I felt closer to God than any person I'd ever known. And suddenly I realized God wasn't real. And it was like, like a family member had died. So imagine, you know, finding out that, you know, a parent or a loved one has died, only you can't tell anyone. How would you process mm-hmm. that? What would you do? Um, so I had to like put on this, this composure to hide this grief and then basically go online uh, on, on Reddit and, and, and other uh, forums and, and chat rooms and say, listen, I used to be a Christian. I'm not anymore. I can't tell anybody. I'll probably, my marriage will fail and uh, you know, I'll lose my whole community. But like, what's the point of life? What, how do I have morality? Everything I knew, well, my morals came from God. Well, there's no God. My purpose came from serving God. Well, there's no God. I was looking forward to being reunited with my loved ones in heaven, but there is no heaven. And I was really depressed. I was actually uh, struggled with suicidal thoughts in the first couple of weeks because I was so low. If it wouldn't have been that I'm a husband and a father, I probably would have just taken my life, which, by the way, statistically understand that people who go through these kind of deconversion experiences are at an elevated risk uh, for suicide attempt and successful suicides. And um, it was incredibly lonely. Uh, Now, ultimately, um, the atheist took pity on me, this this poor uh, Southern Baptist deacon atheist, and started to introduce me to some of the ideas of humanism and, and ways of finding meaning and purpose that don't involve God. And if it wouldn't have been for that sort of secular missionary work, I don't think I would have made it, um, mm-hmm. because those were dark days. Yeah. Do you ever think? Do you ever thank God for that? Like, do you think God used that guy? You know how the church will, will twist that or say stuff like that. You ever thought that? I, I mean, I'm certainly grateful for those people. I still know a lot of them. They were they were good companions. And I will say though, a lot of them, uh, once I had this beach experience and kind of came back to the faith. They were deeply uncomfortable, and many of them actually became hostile because Gosh. it troubled them to see someone who really understood skepticism and atheism express any form of faith again. Mm-hmm. Um, because most atheists, there's a narrative that if you become an atheist and then become a Christian, you were never really an atheist. You didn't really understand atheism. You were just using a word that meant, I don't believe in God like I used to, but you're maybe agnostic. But I was, I was an atheist atheist. I was a 6-9 on the Dawkins scale. And I understood exactly what that meant. And it was, it, was, it was almost a second echo of grief when I'd left my Baptist church and then talked to skeptics online, and they didn't want to have anything to do with me either. And for a while, it was just a handful of very open-minded Christians that formed my community. And... Uh, <laughs> That, that's Those really crazy. That's really crazy that you're the way you're talking about this. I've been uh, really just interested, especially you know, uh, with, with all the you know police brutality and shootings and murders and and what's going on with with racism and race and all that stuff. It's interesting that you say that because almost could relate. Uh, like it sounds like it's it's you have lived an interesting life 
and have seen maybe like the biases on both sides of like Christianity and non-Christian or non-faith, you know, did the same thing happen? Like did the Christians, when you finally came out, did they get hostile? They get angry too, like that emotional component there as well. Some did. Yeah. Especially online, online Christians, uh, were pretty, excuse me, were pretty brutal about the whole thing. Um, my in-person people I knew were in some cases more empathetic, but very confused and hurt. And some, a minority, but a significant one, uh, were outright hostile or abusive. Um, cause I made some, I made some transitions. I, I really, a lot of it was my fault, uh, because <laughs> I handled my, um, faith transition as poorly really as you could. The first thing I did while acting as a Southern Baptist deacon and Sunday school teacher was blog that I thought there was nothing wrong with same-sex relationships on Chick-fil-A day. <laughs> <laughs> like, at, you know, playing, I played in the worship band that Sunday, right? Nice way to dip your toe in the water there. <laughs> teaching, teaching people's children and, and youth Sunday school. Uh, and then the next thing I did was get into like a Facebook debate with several of the pastors at the church about evolution versus creationism. Uh, (laughs) And then finally, I kind of wrote this blog post that was like, oh yeah, I was an atheist for a while. And if I would have flipped that order, I think things would have gone a lot better because people have been like, oh, he just, he just lost it and he's putting everything back together. Yeah. Um, Yeah. But uh, that's not what I did. And so, so as much as I kind of was hurt in that process, I also want to acknowledge that I hurt a lot of people that I came out of left field and people um, who knew me in one context and their perception, I changed overnight. And it was only because I actually changed over a period of three years and just hid it from them. Mm -hmm. I was going to say, it's interesting too, like probably the different take because the Christians are hurt and they probably are question like it's scary when what you believe and base your whole life on all of a sudden your friend or, or, you know, doesn't anymore that, that you have a, faith crisis. And, and on the other side, it's really funny because the, the atheists get screwed because they can't even tell you to go to hell. You know, <laughs> like, <laughs> the, the Christians could tell you that, but I mean, like it, emotionally, they're just mad from an intellectual standpoint. And the Christians are mad, like maybe concerned, like, where are you going? You know, talking maybe about the their own, own cultural values and norms. And it, I think it's more accurate to call them skeptics really than atheists. Because atheism is not really like a belief system or anything. Skepticism yeah. gets there. Most skeptics are humanists, but not all. So that's why it's so hard to talk about atheist, skeptics, humanists. But they have their own ways of, of dismissing you. You know, you're delusional. Maybe you should see mental health counseling. Mm-hmm. So right. Things like that, uh, that 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 cut in their own way. Now, I'm on the other side of this, but I, I kind of agree with, if this makes any sense, I, I kind of have a sympathetic ear to the way the atheist didn't like your reconversion. There's something about it that 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 sounds like you're super fortunate in a way, if not for the ability or need to salvage your cultural and personal relationships. Um, I don't know if you would would have come all the way back. And I'm not trying to to give a knock on you, but like the second half of the book, you do a lot of what in in some regard is uh gymnastics or not gymnastics, but like you had these super detailed. Okay. Let me, let me see if I can say this right without, I'm not trying to be insulting. I'm a Christian, obviously. I I love it. But you, you have these very, very 
detailed things and definitions of God and, and ways that you work it out logically and consistently, and they very much articulate the way I look at stuff too. So I'm 100% with you, but what I'm saying is if not for your time being an atheist and the fact that your mom and your wife and all these, if you didn't have that pull back, I don't think you would have done the mental work to, which I think is actually amazing and important work that you've done. Yeah, that sounds yeah, no, nice. No, but right? I, I, I'm with you. And I think, I think, like you would have just, if you didn't have the Southern Baptist grow, if you didn't live in Tallahassee, if you didn't have that, I don't, I, I think you would have just stayed out. I tried to like kind of honor that idea in the beginning of part two and the last chapter. I kind of had called that out from conversations, mm-hmm. frankly, I'd had with skeptics. Um, because kind of my story, I had this just, unbelievably intense mystical experience where I felt like I was in the presence of God, which was mm-hmm. really confusing because at the time I was an atheist. And my response to that, that beautiful moving experience was to come back to Tallahassee and ask a neurologist to give me a CAT scan because I right. was like, I've got a brain tumor. That's wow. what's happening. Mm-hmm. Um, I've experienced God and I obviously have a brain tumor. I had no brain tumor. Um, and so I started studying theology and the Bible again, and they seemed just as ridiculous as they did before the experience. They just, they made me doubt that my experience had any validity at all. Right. So that's when I started turning to cosmology and neuroscience. Um, And you're right, I did a lot of work trying to find if there was anything I could ground scientifically or empirically Mm -hmm. about Christian faith and practice. But if had you grown up, you know, in a liberal city, not around Christian this or that, whatever, and you thought you were a Christian for a while, then you became atheist, then you had a mystical experience, you you might have just eventually said, "Well, that must have." You, you may have just come up with some other so- solution. I could have, I could have ascribed you, that to something other than exactly. No, absolutely, I agree That's with that. What so I'm the, the thing where I am now is I no longer deny the degree to which culture plays a role in the fact that I'm a Christian, or or the fact that. This is a historic faith, and it's not just a historic faith. It's a faith that's actually been passed along in my family and is part of my cultural heritage. And post-enlightenment, we tend to view, view that kind of thinking as inadequate or, mm-hmm. or uh, you know, illogical or irrational. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in, in cultures across the world, that's actually a normative way to look at heritage. Uh, I had a conversation with a man in the Middle East who referred to Richard Dawkins as a Christian. <laughs> in his mind, he's part of a Christian culture. Uh-huh. Even if he's an atheist, he's a Christian atheist, right? He's not, he's not a Muslim. He's not a Jew. He's not a Hindu. He's a Christian. So yeah. I don't like fight that battle anymore because my work is not about saying, hey, everybody, look, I have found the one true ultimate expression of God. My work is about explaining, here's how I relate to God and while I do that, I'm going to admit the limitations mm-hmm. of my approach. Exactly. The other way you could have gone with that is come back to the faith and then go hardcore apologetics and then try to, because that's how people would think the story would go. You come back to God and now you're zinging them left and right and you've got all the arguments and this is why God is this and this is, is that and you don't do that. And I'm so thankful as a, a person that is not into apologetics. <laughs> I have a hard time ever explaining to people why I don't like them, but you do a pretty good job of explaining why you don't like them, but thank you for not being that way now that you're back. (laughs) Mike, what are the main differences between the God that you worship now as opposed to the God that you worship when you were in the Baptist church? Well, I'm a mystic now, like kind of in the Richard Rohr tradition. I 
don't make a lot of like claims about God that I would I would hold as intellectual you know propositions or presuppositions to use to use one theological term. I love God and I experience God, and through that love I come to a knowledge of God. But I understand that I can't like claim those experiences are in some way more grounded in fact than someone else's. So when it comes to making you know claims about the world, I'm a, I'm an empiricist. I, I think like a scientist. Uh, whereas when I was a, a Southern Baptist, I believed every word of the Baptist faith and message. I believed in an intelligent, spiritual, personal being, God. And now I'm much more in the the, the Tillich camp of uh, the ground of being, uh, or what John Shelby Spong would also say something like that. I tend to the, the big debate we have in our culture among theology nerds, frankly, most people don't really give a damn, but among people who try to define God very specifically is theism versus atheism. Well, in atheism, you're asserting that there is no God or gods, or you lack belief in a God or gods. And in theism, you're saying you believe in a specific God who has will and agency and a plan for humanity and all these trappings that you're claiming as fact. I call myself a non-theist because I don't find the terms atheist, which is too restrictive, or theist, which is also too restrictive, to represent my relationship with God. Whereas my Baptist faith was about mastering an understanding of God, knowing everything there was to know about God. My faith now is about a very simple trust in God uh, and love for God, but not about an intellectual mastery. So how, how there's got to be uh, a good amount of evangelicals that still that say, yeah, you're still not a Christian though. Oh, totally, right? totally. Yeah. So but what, here, here's what, the other. What I'd say I, about that, real quick, Joey, is every Christian is some other Christian's heretic or apostate. Totally, totally. So I don't, I, I don't worry a, a whole lot about that. <laughs> so how does how does Jesus fit into the picture now for you? Jesus is the only way I can approach God. Uh, that's why I call myself a Christian and not a spiritualist. That's why I call myself a Christian and not, you know, a universalist. The only way every experience I've ever had with God has been through Jesus. Frankly, including uh, if you listen to my story, the yeah. gateway to that moment on the beach happened through a Christ-centered moment at the Eucharist. Right. What I acknowledge is, in my experience, I am not capable of having any sort of relationship to or understanding of even a mystical God without Christ. And some of my skeptical friends, it drives them crazy. They're like, what is it with you (laughs) and Jesus? And I've just got to the point that I admit I need Jesus. Now, I don't know if the world needs Jesus. I'm not saying like the way I'm the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to the father, but by me, I think that's kind of a political statement. If you do a a good read of that text in a historical context, it's a, it's kind of a slam on Caesar because Caesar would have said the same thing about himself. But uh, I know I need Jesus, I, and that's enough for me. So you you yep. would probably feel uncomfortable with saying that you are better off reconverted than someone who used to be a Christian, denied their faith, and never came back. Like, you wouldn't say you're better off than that person. No, like I wouldn't. A, like, I wouldn't. Without knowing more, I wouldn't. Make, now, if that person is miserable— or if that yeah. person is so full of hostility they can't live in a relationship, then certainly I would say I'm better off. But yeah. someone who has processed through their doubt experience and become effectively a, a healthy humanist, 
no, I wouldn't say I'm in any way superior to that person. Mike, can you do us uh, your definition, your minimum definition of God? That's a great way to put it. And there's a couple of iterations, I think, in the book. But I love the the thing because Jesus is personable. It's a real thing. It's something you can experience. But your God definition is is really interesting. What 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 do you say God is? God is, is at least the set of forces that created and sustained the universe as experienced mm-hmm. via a psychosocial construct evolved rooted in the evolved features of human brains, even if that's all God is, uh, an understanding or belief in God can be beneficial to human health and mental cognition. All right, say it one more time. God is at least the set of forces that created and sustained the universe as experienced through a psychosocial construct rooted in evolved features of the human brain, even if that's all God is, belief in God can be beneficial to people's health and cognition. There's the four so, most important words there are at least even if. Hey, hey, I don't want to call you out, but I promise you seven years ago, I heard Joel Osteen say that. So I don't know. It's not my I don't know. I, I'm not trying to call you out. You know, Joel, he loves physics. <laughs> Dude, he just, he's all over physics. So you're content to basically say you have had spiritual experiences that you are convinced are Jesus. And when asked, why should I believe that too? You, you, you say, I, I don't know. Should you? Yeah, I, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I that, just, that, that, that's what I say, at least. I listen to a lot of the liturgists, and like your story has actually been super helpful for me personally. And it blows my mind just knowing your background and where you're at now that you're completely comfortable with calling yourself a Christian. Like, that is just so like interesting to me, like in a, in a very good way. Like you, you are just an enigma to me. And it's, I'm a it's, member of the United Methodist church in good standing. That's awesome. An honest to goodness, <laughs> Orthodox mainline Christian denomination counts me on its roles. That's good. <laughs> can you be, can you be a pastor? Can you be a Methodist pastor or a deacon or something like that? I don't know. I guess if I, if I tried to be, I probably could be, <laughs> awesome. uh, the biggest hurdle is, uh, I mean, I do believe in a bodily resurrection. Right. Uh, so I think that would probably yeah. make them very comfortable. But I, I don't, the, you know, the open minds, open hearts, open doors. Methodists are pretty broad folks. The bodily resurrection is the kicker, right? That's where the whole thing, I mean, because it, it is reasonable that there's some people who say I'm a Christian that are really using that term in such a nominal way that it, that it's maybe purely cultural or purely something else. But it really is a something insane for a self-proclaimed skeptic to acknowledge <laughs> a, a bodily resurrection. Sure. That, that is incons- like that is the thing that is different. And if you look at someone like Bishop John Shelby Spong, he's a non-theist who does not affirm a bodily resurrection, but mm-hmm. identifies as a Christian. And I'm not saying that's like mm-hmm. a terrible thing. Um, but I talk about this a lot in the book about, um, when I, I say I believe in the resurrection, I'm not making a scientific fact claim. I'm speaking right. to something that is uh, mystical and mysterious in nature that I frankly understand. A, a person would say it's much more reasonable to not believe in. So I don't like hold my mm-hmm. nose up at someone's like, I don't believe in the resurrection. I'm like, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, but I <laughs> It go, makes more sense than what I believe, to tell you the truth. Yeah, It yeah. makes more sense than what I believe. But with the experiences I've had, they've been so powerful. And so moving, I lean into that through a trust, but that's not enough for me to go and say, well, if you don't believe that you're going to hell. 
how do you feel about the possibility? Like if someone were to say, Mike, man, you're just such a blessing. There are so many science minded people out there that need Jesus and you're like their bridge to, to get there. Like, how would that make you feel? Well, I want to be a bridge for science minded people who want to be closer to Jesus, but their skepticism makes that difficult. Yeah. I don't want to be an apologetic mm -hmm. evangelistic tool for people who don't want to be harassed by Christians and want to be left alone. <laughs> I don't yeah. want people to be like, right. oh, my cousin who doesn't believe anymore and is happy, you've got to read this book. That's not what I'm about. Yeah. My work is all about people, and there are literally millions, by the way, who find themselves in an existential state of doubt, but actually long, specifically for Christian community and fellowship and faith practice. And yeah. that's, that's who my work is for. Can you imagine being out there looking for God and you want it to be true and you think it is and you just don't have the background for it and you're just not quite sure where it is and you think to yourself, I just don't know if I can be like Ken Ham, though. Right. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah, and I'm being, right. I'm being dead serious. Like how if you felt inklings toward God and you felt like there was spiritual truth out there that you didn't have access to or didn't grow up in and you were curious, you, you would ha because of, of nuts like that, you go, I just don't know if Kirk Cameron is getting it more <laughs> right than, than Sam Harris right. is, though. You don't, how are you supposed to do that? So in that way, to be a skeptical person, to be an evidence-based person that also can acknowledge something like a bodily resurrection or something that's non-scientific yet compelling individually, that's a great bridge. That's a great place to be and unbelievably underrepresented. I, yeah, definitely underrepresented would be true. <laughs> I think there's I, four I, of us. <laughs> I think uh, one thing that I, I just think is, is so great, um, we, my wife and I, we just moved to Franklin, Tennessee, and so you had him on your podcast, uh, Stan Mitchell. Oh, yeah. I love Stan. Yeah, he's just great. And he preached a sermon. My The first sermon we saw there was just so great to me. I grew up in an extremely small, charismatic, uber-conservative. Women didn't wear rings or makeup or jeans. Like he, he had some of that same background growing up in Arkansas. But he just he really helped me realize, and I, I think this is the same thing as you, what you are doing is literally – respecting people's minds like 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 he, he said this uh -huh. and I, I'll, I'll give him credit for it that like i was the same way my my family even my parents did not respect my mind and were scared of it in fact and didn't know how to didn't know what to do like frightened I, I had a young gentleman at the church we used to go to in clinton missouri which is a extremely small town the first bad he goes there and he wrote me and said that his you know he felt really strangely and uncomfortable that the christians around him were constantly saying how bad the other religions were and they were so wrong and he's just like i just but i mean how do they really know like he's just asking a legitimate question right and he says and, and so i have doubts and so i i took that to me wait a minute the reason he has doubts is because somebody is saying something out of fear and and so when you know stan said this too but when when they're there isn't logic people turn to fear and, and abuse it and try and scare you and that's what happened to me you're going to hell hey don't don't don't, don't do that you're not going to talk about that you can't you can't, and, and as of right now, we can't tell our families we go to that church because they can't understand. <laughs> like I'm, I'm, I'm closet going to Grace Point, and it's amazing. It's, 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 it's which Just is hilarious because with so yeah, many listeners. Yeah, I know. Well, his parents aren't listening, but I'm in the closet, even though that church is for you know for the LGB community. That uh, like I, I, I mentioned this a few podcasts back, but I've never been around that many gay people in one room, and I was like, this is amazing, regardless of what. Anybody thinks about whatever, it's so amazing that you can go to a place where people really are welcome. But I just really do appreciate that. I, I did kind of want you to speak to that, like, uh, 
What, what do you say to people who are having doubts, but they do want to retain their faith? Well, I think the first thing I would say is you mentioned the perfect phrase of respecting someone's mind. I think it's interesting at the point in my life when I'm the least intentionally evangelistic that I've ever been, I'm the most successfully evangelistic. Yep, absolutely. And, and it's not a desire. It's just a thing that's happening. Um, and I almost, it's funny that the churches that most want to reach people in today's society are the most likely to alienate them. So the first thing I do is respect the other person's autonomy, and I honor the validity of their perspective and their story, and I receive whatever I, they need to share. Some people have just been really hurt and need someone to listen. And if that's all it comes down to, then that's what I do. Uh, and if, they want, if they're asking for some kind of comfort in the face of doubt, I, well, I start talking about the consequences. Uh, what, what if you're wrong? Well, what if anybody is wrong? How many ideas about God are there? And you, you, you think you're the only one that might be incorrect about ideas about God and that if there's a personal God, this God is uniquely upset with you because you're in a condition with 7 billion other people where you don't know what, which idea about God is exactly correct. So let's take a step back because what makes doubt corrosive is when it's coupled with fear. Without fear, doubt's just a way to help you test your ideas. I, I tell people now, I have doubt. But doubt's my companion. I'm about doubt over for beers. And we sit down and, and we work things through. But it's when we have this, this existential angst that it's like we're past, mm -hmm. we're just studying for a final exam. And if we don't get 100, then we're annihilated or spend eternity in hell. Well, then, of yeah. course, doubt is scary. So I lower Think the Think about space. it this way. What if you, it's like it's like if you were talking about a bridge over a giant ravine, and so if you are walking across that bridge and you have doubts whether it's strong enough, mm -hmm. there's going to be fear jump into there. But if you were just analyzing it in an engineering class on the blueprint, you it's a good thing to go ahead and have that doubt and just figure out the tensile strength of the steel and whatever else. But you don't want to do that when, when you're on the that's what yeah, the that's fear right. component the of that is paralyzed. You're just going to hang on to the side of the bridge. Well, here, you know? Here's what confuses me is, uh, Matt, I've heard you say something very similar to what Mike said, even encouraging me not to get so frustrated and fearful and everything. But you would lean more towards someone that does believe in hell and that's what I don't understand is because my fear is based on the possibility of a hell where you are cool as a cucumber, even with that in mind. And I just think that's very, very interesting and not, not no, in a bad I, I, way. I'm the same way with heaven and hell. I, I don't even think about talking about those things with me because then they don't make any sense. <laughs> they make no sense to me in any way, but I also don't need to go through the thing where I discount it and say, well, it must not exist then, or there's this other way to think about it. I, I do believe I've encountered God. I believe he's there. Most of the stuff in that book, I, I'm sure there's a way that once rightly understood, it'll make sense, but pff, I ain't gonna worry about yeah. it. That's the way I look at heaven and hell. I, I'm not even really spending time thinking about what they are and what that experience is. It makes no yeah. sense. So I don't need to eliminate hell, you know. And this yeah. is where, where I, like, really probably upset more conservative folks. I'm just really honest. Nobody has any idea what happens when we die. Yeah. Even if they right. say they do, they don't know. So even if they feel very strongly and very passionately, why not enjoy this journey, right? So what's happened is whatever used to work for you about God doesn't work anymore. You know why? Because you've grown. You've grown. This is a good thing. So let's, let's, if God matters to you, if God's important to you, why don't you say a prayer and thank God for the opportunity to know God better? Um, 
and and then just study and learn and enjoy the process. Uh, you know, there's this that, that cliche of footprints poem, right? The the one foot set of footprints. Mm-hmm. But in that in that idea, I don't think of God as someone walking along with us. I think of God like as the path itself, as the sand, as everything that surrounds us. And and in that way, it's impossible for God to be absent. Right. Uh, God's God's very being is presence, and um, it's just a matter of like, what metaphor are you going to find that points you towards God? And this is yeah. a great thing. It's a great thing to find. And it, by the way, it's also very biblical. Yeah. The metaphors for God changed over the course of the biblical canon to adapt to different ways that people understood the might of God in social contexts. And so different images and different languages were used for the same God over the 1,500-year period in which the Bible was written and assembled. And if that's happening in your life today, maybe you're transitioning from a burning bush to an ark and a temple. But either way, it doesn't mean you're not God's. That's awesome, yeah. Apostrophe S not (laughs) (laughs) that's a good point about the growing thing because when you grow your conception has to change i mean like if you think about your four-year-old daughter i mean she you tell her god's listening to your prayers i imagine she you know his she thinks he has ears or whatever and at some point she goes wait a minute can he hear me does it matter if i talk quiet or soft or in my head how do his ears work and then that you outgrow that conception and because you've grown in your understanding of things so as we grow in human life, there's many times where you reevaluate the Bible and the way you think about it and your faith. And then you can only imagine if you gain more knowledge uh, and, and beyond the scope of, of being confined to human, our five senses on this planet in this amount of years, there's got to be a lot of more boundary-breaking conceptions that we would I- encounter going forward too. Each one of them would feel like, wait a minute, is that does that make it not true? Right. Well, no. Yeah. You, you can understand deeper, fuller, more. It doesn't invalidate you know, the way it is. So that's a really good way to look at it. So finding God in the waves, it's, uh, I love this, my story of faith, losing my faith, meeting God face to face and trying to make sense of it all. How, what percentage have you made sense of it? You about at 20%? I know so <laughs> little, I don't even know the percentage. <laughs> <laughs> how, how have you felt about the book process? This is your first big book. Uh, yeah, and everything. first Has book at all. Last time I talked to you, you sounded like it was a lot more work than you thought when you signed up for it. It was a lot of work. It took forever. Um, I was completely scared to death as we approached launch that no one would buy the thing. Because, I mean, it's one thing to download a podcast. It's another thing to buy a book. Mm-hmm. But I knew I'd made the best book I could. I knew I'd been extremely honest on the page. And I knew that the goal of this book is actually to help people suffer less and to feel closer to God. And so I just tried to honor that intention. And, uh, it, you know, it's been a great launch so far. Um, I've been really overwhelmed by not just, you know, a lot of people have bought the book, but also by the reception. I, I was talking to a friend of mine who who works with a lot of Christian authors and speakers and performers, and he said, I don't know how you do it. And I said, what? He said, I don't know how you say the things you say without controversy. <laughs> wow. Um, because he says, you say things way further than this person or that person. And yet everyone speaks glowing of you online, including atheists and conservative Christians. And um, I said, well, I don't know why that is. 
And he said, I think they can tell that you love and respect them. And I said, who? Yeah. And he said, everyone. And of course, then I just waterworked. <laughs> oh, yeah, that was my that was my criticism about the book. Or maybe about you as a person. You sure do cry a lot, it sounds like. Oh, my like. God. Man. <laughs> That's actually only something that happened since that thing on the beach. Really? I didn't used to cry all the time. but And this is common among people. When scientists have studied people who've had mystical experiences, mm -hmm. they almost all become frequent criers, and people <laughs> report them as being very emotionally vulnerable. But when you've had wow. a moment when you feel like you're in the presence of God, and you feel God's love for yep. you and God's love for everyone else, it's tough to go back to being a cynic. Wow. Totally. That same thing happened to me with kids. Like I was never cried. And then after having kids, it doesn't matter. Like I promise I've, I cried my eyes out at the dumbest part of matrix three. three. <laughs> <laughs> I was sobbing. Kids, yeah. I, I was like, this <laughs> is a, I know that sounds crazy, but it's when the oh, kid no. gets in the big machine and the military guy dies and he, he's, it's his, I don't know. You know, I cried my eyes out. So, yeah, I know what you're saying. Man, this is so great. We are so glad that you came on, man. This is really, really you good stuff. have no idea how long I've been waiting to come on Bad Christian. Well, Mike, it's, it's just incidental that we hadn't had John. We figured we have so much of the same uh, stuff going on, and we've done stuff together, and we'll do a lot. It's just a lot of times what happens on this podcast is people that we know and deal with, we just figure, oh, we'll, we'll have them on for sure and just never get around to it kind of thing. So I don't want to make a big deal, but I happen to have my bucket list here right on the table, <laughs> and I just checked Bad Christian Podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're glad to have such a, you know, kind of a community vibe with you yeah. and Michael and the stuff that you're making. And there's so many parallels. And I remember probably a year and a half ago, I was probably still further on uh, earlier in the deconstruction kind of phase. And I was thinking, well, we're probably pretty conservative and they're a little more out there. Like, I'm not even really sure what they really believe. And now I'm just like, yeah, fuck it. We're all, it's about, we're all in about the same spot. <laughs> hey, so Mike, Mike, I've got to know the times that you've listened to bad Christian. Are there, are there ever times when you walk away being like, those guys are just assholes. Like I, I love them, but man, they're assholes. Cause you guys are so nice. The game. Um, oh, I, I bet you, I know what you're talking about. The game that Toby and Matt made Michael Gunger. Yeah. Is locked up. That's the only time I was like, oh. man, that's putting somebody on the spot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. We used to ask crazy questions. With <laughs> no, well, I like the reason yeah. I like your show so much is for whatever aesthetic differences there are, you are very much in the same work of D shaming and detoxifying Christianity yeah. that we are. That's right. Um, and so I, I actually celebrate the, the way you take your conversations in all of it, all of its glory, because of the degree to which you are about eliminating a faith that's entirely based on personal shame instead of resurrection. Um, so no, I, I have a, I have a very favorable view of guys. Yeah. It's just all about getting out there and let, being a little bit, just being willing to say stuff that other people wouldn't. So it gives other people some more comfort there. It's just, it's kind of leading by example. But, How many Christians are literally married Christians today are terrified to talk about sex? Yeah. 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 So Seriously. even if that, you know what I mean? Like, I think that's an essential conversation and an essential thing to go through. Well, thank you, Mike. We also want to say, definitely listen to the Liturgist podcast. And I, how in the world did you guys get Owen McGregor on, the, on that last episode? That's amazing. You know, we have found, we've kind of hit an inflection point with that show where enough people in and around Hollywood have heard of it. And in, and in New York, especially 
that it's not hard for us to get guests. That's amazing. Pretty serious caliber on there. Yeah. Yeah. No, I know you've had great ones, but I just was like, that is so cool. Yeah. That's yeah. That's a list yeah. for sure. So that's yeah. great. We've got, we've got more like that coming too. That's amazing. Good. Awesome. That's good. You can, you can, if you get any B and C list celebrities, you can send them on over <laughs> yeah. this way. We'll be glad to yeah. talk to we, we have a pastor coming up. I think that doesn't like black people are gay. So, <laughs> so yeah. That, yeah. So we're not sweating it either. Science Mike. <laughs> we get, I mean, he, he, he has a church of 30 people in there. Yeah, somewhere in Alabama, and it's going to be wild. All right, so check out the liturgist, get his book, Finding God in the Waves, and Ask Science Mike, which is which is just a great podcast. Everybody, I, I really just feel like everybody yeah. already knows it, but if you don't know th- those podcasts, Ask Science Mike and them, oh yeah, just go get it. Get it on iTunes and, and uh, support Mike. He does this full-time for a living, and nothing makes me happier than people doing their own thing creatively and making it happen. So thank you, Mike. And you and you heard it here. As Joey gets close to release, he's going to come over on my show, and we're going to talk about mental health because that's something people have been asking for a lot. Awesome. There you go. So stay tuned. That's great. Thanks, Mike. It's just so fun when you talk to somebody that's just so smart. I mean, I've said this before, but, like, my dad would make fun of me when I used a big word <laughs> or something. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> it, like it, it just, you know, like, there was this that, there was a little bit of, like, uh, I think intelligence, there used to be a level of arrogance. I go, if you're intelligent, then you're, it's almost like you're talking down to somebody, which it wasn't. I just think people were are scared of intelligence and science and all that stuff. But I think that it's funny that like, uh, I feel so good around somebody that's, that's just being thoughtful and logical. And even if we, you know, there's, there's tons of stuff that I probably disagree with Mike about, but like, that's okay. It's tons of stuff. It doesn't matter. Like we don't, if we get there, we'll have a, you know, a robust discussion and it'll be fun. But I mean, like, I don't have to, I don't, I feel good around some like, like people that are smarter than me. I don't fear it. I actually am excited. And, and you also, you also don't love everybody. And so it's encouraging to hang out with people that love people. Totally. Yeah. Dude, dude, is his voice not unbelievably soothing? Like it is just one of the best talking voices ever. I know. It's just I, I, unbelievable. I, I, it's hilarious that you say that. I was thinking the exact same thing. I was thinking he's so smart, and a lot of the stuff that he knows, like it, most common dude, doesn't even wouldn't even understand. So I was thinking, what about what if Science Mike did a sleep podcast where he just talked about science? <laughs> you, you know, you, you might not even like if he really started talking about some serious stuff, you wouldn't understand it, and you would just his voice is so soothing. Soothing, you'd be out. Yeah, you know what yeah, I mean. Totally. Like, Toby, like, I mean, that'd be that'd be amazing. Toby, I want to take a quick opportunity here. Yeah, we are actually giving away four boxes of marriage supply. So, uh, have you and Jessica received some boxes from marriage supplies? Yep, we have definitely received it. And that's uh, going back to my earlier story. We <laughs> we've we've used them. And it's been <laughs> amazing, and I still. <laughs> has has Jessica received anything from you through those boxes? <laughs> okay. So anyway, hey, listen up. Go to uh, go to marriagesupply.com. And uh, these people that are in the BC club not only help put on the damn news that you're about to hear in a second, but these four names, you're going to get a, a free box from Marriage Supply. It's like a date night box. They win a free box just from joining the BC Club. Candace and Katie are going to give yeah, it to them. Yeah, and it's just it's, yeah, awesome. random, it's random picks from new BC Club guys. But, hey, Matt and Toby, let me ask you guys this. What if they're not married? 
Do do we encourage them to use this box anyway or give it to somebody? You can save, save it. Save it. <laughs> Just save, save it. it. Save it for marriage. Well, anyway, congratulations to Lucas Hendrickson, Zach Reiner, Mitchell Toth, and Daniel J. Zilverberg. We're going to be sending you uh, boxes from marriagesupply.com. Congratulations. All right, let's get to the news, Matt. Right on. I do want to say this. I, I would love to hear, before you start the news, I would love to hear, and I wonder if he's done it. That's what I didn't get to ask him. Why Methodist? Like, I love hearing, like, uh, our good friend Matt Johnson says he's, like, he's kind of like a closet Luther, and he loves, you know, everybody has their own particular reasons for different denominations, stuff like that. I think it'd be really interesting to hear some super smart folks talk about why they go to a certain church. You know what I mean? Because That's a whole topic we should definitely yeah. get into. I know a ton of ex-Mars Hill people, probably half of them went a... Uh, Presbyterian like Methodist kind yeah, of route. I, I think, yeah, mainline, yeah. that that route. I, I thought yep. for a while mainline was coming back. All right, kick the music. In a world where you love asking questions and you did not get to ask Science Mike about sex with robots in the future and how that will dominate everything, my name is Toby Morales, The Damn News. I can't believe I didn't All get right. to ask him that. I, w- I was wanting to ask him, will we only have sex with robots in the future? And instead, we had to talk about God and stuff. <laughs> so frustrating. This comes from Yahoo. Science is calling, this comes from Yahoo.com. Science is calling BS on the five-second rule. Oh, wow. Researchers at Rutgers University in New Jersey have revealed that bacteria cannot contaminate food that falls on the floor in less than a second. Scientists tested four surfaces, stainless steel, ceramic tile, wood, and carpet, and four different foods, watermelon, bread, bread and butter, and gummy sweets. They also looked at four different contact times, less than one second, five, 30, and 300 seconds, and measured bacteria contamination for each. Watermelon had the most contamination, damn it. I love watermelon. While gummy sweets had the least, suggesting that transfer of bacteria from surfaces to food is affected most by moisture carpet also fared mm-hmm. better when it came to contamination transfer than tile or stainless steel though it is fair to say that the longer the food stays in contact with the surface the more bacteria will transfer what isn't true is that nothing happens under five seconds mm-hmm. what do y'all think about that toby I, i'm gonna i i think that you outdid yourself with this story this is super interesting i agree and i just think here's here's my opinion hey, joey agrees with the study wow but but he agrees with the research. Yeah, that they hey, did. that's good. <laughs> I, I, I don't agree that there was a lone gunman. I don't believe that planes knocked the buildings down. I mean, I don't Good believe God. any of that shit. Hey, listen to this real quick. Listen, my son, bless his heart. He told me, he said, hey, there's a girl in my class. This is Waylon. He is in preschool. He said, she can pick up a house. And I said, Waylon, she cannot pick up a house. I said, why do you believe that? He said, because she told me. She can pick up a house. I was like, damn it. He's following the steps of his old man. (laughs) She just told him. (laughs) No, but I just, I kind of have a who the hell cares attitude about germs. They're everywhere. Can we really keep ourselves from being sick? And I know a lot of people would say, yes, if you wash your hands. Just a guy that's always constantly sick. (laughs) So, yeah, I'll I'll eat shit off the ground all the time. I don't care. Matt. Yeah, well, I'm not big on germ worrying about germs in the first place. So, yeah, I I don't think that I, regardless. First of all, there's just 
millions and billions of bacteria everywhere, and of course you're getting them in your mouth. What I like to think about is, what do you think is like when somebody talks about dirty, like dirt from the yard, if you had a gummy worm that fell in dirt from the yard and you ate it, the worst, in my opinion, is going to be is gritty. You know, it, it, it's dirty and germy are not synonymous. And just because, I mean, the ground is a, a place where there's not going to be a lot of danger. What do you think E. coli is on a blade of grass in your yard? <laughs> do you, I mean, do you think under the couch where that yucky dust is, do you think there's salmonella there or botulism? or I mean, that's not where that stuff is. Right. So the ground's never worried me. Now, the one exception being high foot traffic probably has yeah. some fecal traces on it. In gen- but really, I don't think most of the stuff you're worried about, you know, dust and dirt and stuff like that is dirty. It's not germy, and it's certainly not germy with dangerous Well, germs. Matt, if, yeah. but there's Matt, germs if food falls on a high traffic area where you said the potential for fecal matter, how easy does fecal matter get on a gummy bear? It is just a bunch of it. Well, Toby just told you with a research study. Yeah, but I'm just. <laughs> that was what the. <laughs> I'm asking. I'm me. Asking. Toby just told you numerically what happens. Okay. So then. Why, Can you repeat the results, Toby? Why would you be upset about that then? That's what I'm trying to. Upset about what? What do you mean? Why would you refrain from that falling in high traffic areas? No, he's just saying that in high traffic areas, there might be a greater chance of fecal matter than, say, under your kitchen table or something. So that's all he was saying. Like, there, there is a chance the bacteria can get there, but Matt's saying it's, he's not that worried about it because most likely the bacteria or whatever that isn't going to be present or probably in, it's most you, harmful you have a bacteria way, isn't you have a way higher hepatitis isn't chilling yeah, on, yeah. you have a way higher chance of not getting sick and what was really crazy i was listening to a really cool uh, joe rogan podcast i think his name's chris cresser i don't know if you listen to that one but he's just talking about diet and stuff it was really cool i, I know a lot of people he, they kind of talk about veganism and how it's not the best for you but it's it, do what you want to do i believe that too but um they were saying something like they in your gut alone that you there's like more bacteria than like all the planets and stars in like a few galaxies or, or <laughs> sure. yeah, like the Milky Way or something like that. Like, it's, yeah, yeah. The, like it's unbelievable. Yeah. I said that a couple of weeks ago in science segment that there's millions or billions of bacteria in like right. an ounce of seawater yeah. or cubic. It, it's just insane. I mean, it, like we're made up of mostly bacteria. I think <laughs> there's more. Yes. There's more bacteria cells in your body right. than human cells. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? Yes, that's Dang, that's yeah. nuts. That's crazy. Uh, okay, I thought this was pretty interesting. Um, and I think this comes from uh, marketwatch.com. And I'm not going to read the whole thing. It's a kind of a long article, but I'm going to get to the good spot parts. But this man won $30,000 on Wheel of Fortune. And here, here's how much he got to keep. So it's really a pretty cool story. Um, Matt McMahon, he actually even trained. He's a teacher. And he went on, he uh, studied all summer. He knew when he found out he was going to be on Wheel of Fortune. So he spent a lot of time. Uh, he had to audition and get on. And then he spent a lot of time training and all this stuff. And so he won $31,000. How much, what, what is your guess, Joey, of how much? At, so hold on, let me, uh, let me tell you what he won. But anyway, it's basically $31,000. But uh, part of that was $16,400 in cash and two vacations valued at $15,000. $300 a trip to Chile and a cruise down to the Danube River. I'm going to say he I'm I'm going to say he really got about 6,000 of that. Okay. And how much do you say, Matt? 50%. Joey, you nailed it. $6,000. Wow. Really? I mean, you yeah, Joey nailed it. 
It said uh, all game show winnings, cash, prizes, trips, et cetera, are taxed like regular income. Uh-huh. So the show allowed him to find a less expensive version of his two trips. So he was able to pay taxes on vacations worth $10,800 instead of the 1500 But in the end, he says he's only going to walk away with about $6,000 cash. Isn't that crazy? That's ridiculous. I I just would I know it. So like when you see somebody win all that money, it's going to Uncle Sam. Yep. That just sucks. Gosh, that sucks. Yeah, it does. All right, I got one more quick little story for you. I shouldn't be surprised about this. I'm the I'm the guesser of this. And if you, I don't know if y'all heard, but Angelina Jolie files for divorce from Brad Pitt. Oh shit! Who would ever do that? This comes with CNN. Yep. One of Hollywood's highest profile marriages is over. Angelina Jolie has filed for divorce from husband Brad Pitt, citing, what do you think? Infidelity. Irreconcilable differences. Irreconcilable differences. (laughs) (laughs) So that's it. So my point is here, the two just beautiful people. I mean, I think Brad Pitt looks better than her, honest. I mean, he is an amazing looking human being, like just a beautiful human being. Just, I mean, like, think about his body in Fight Club. I still go like that. Or Troy. Yeah. Oh my God. It's just, it's just <laughs> unbelievable that you could make your body like your. It's just unreal. And like his facial hair, even now, even with graying hair and it's just amazing. But it doesn't matter how beautiful you are. I mean, they are super philanthropic and care about the world and and do all kinds of things for you know less fortunate you know third world countries and stuff. And it just doesn't matter if it just like it, it, if you got it doesn't matter how good you look or how good you are. It's not guaranteeing you that you're going to stay married. Doesn't matter how much sex, so sex you get or anything. There I is mean, no like it doesn't matter. Like Christian, non-Christian, there is no thing that really there, it, like data wise. Like, I mean, my, science Mike was saying monogamy, you stay alive longer and you have longer marriages, all stuff. But I mean, it's just, I don't know. It, I know. Especially, especially in entertainment, right? It's just it, like, how oh, many people yeah. do you think, like literally, don't you think it's a very small minority of people that get married in Hollywood and stay married? Oh, gotcha. It might not the, be true, the more famous and more power Michael J. You have, Michael the J. Fox is, is to maintain relationships. Michael J. Fox is the only one I know for sure. Uh, how? I mean, you might have to have a terrible disease to stay married. Oh, I know that's, I'm not even being funny. What the shit? I'm not being funny. I'm saying I'm being serious right now. Like that might have like kept him from the spotlight as much and made him. I don't I, know. I didn't think you're being funny. I thought you're being like very disrespectful to their marriage. No, no, he has a horrible disease. I'm saying that might be a blessing in disguise that helps them stay together and trust each other yeah, and just love each stop. other. And stuff. Just stop. I'm not saying anything bad. He does have a horribly ter- unreal disease that's awful. And, and she's still with him because of his disease, not because no, she no, loves I'm him? Saying, no, I'm saying that might have taken their minds off of career and success and Hollywood and it's yeah. sleeping around yeah. all that stuff. So that's all I'm saying. <laughs> hey, so, hey, the more the more power and success you have, the, the harder it is to maintain only, relationship. Period. That's the only other profession is. that sleeps around more is Joey's <laughs> profession. Yeah, that's <laughs> the only other profession where they get busy outside of marriage, boy. Angelina Jolie is giving up sex with Brad Pitt, folks. That's how I hear that story. God, that's how I hear it, it. she's blowing it. She's making a huge mistake. But very and the damn very news. Very good. Yeah, that was the damn news. Thank you, Toby. All right. So thanks to the BC Club well, no, and all Matt, that. We Matt, already these said guys, those people. These guys helped the damn news, but they did not win a box from Marriage Supply. And that's Joe okay. Joe Pellerito, John Ringer, the UPS guy, Joseph Guthrie, Kenny Bakic, Dylan Birch, and John Haynes. You guys are awesome for supporting us, and you did not win 
a box from Marriage Supply. But we love you. Yeah, well, thank you, guys. Thank you for joining the BC Club. You can go to the bcclub.com. See the new webpage rolled out there. We got all of our people, all our volunteers, the people that work, payroll people, the founders, all that stuff over there. You can see what it is, we, what, what we're up to and what we're doing. We got a bunch of new stuff coming soon. Uh, Joey's book, pre-orders out, Toby's podcast, bunch of stuff. So thank you guys for tuning in tonight. Toby, can you take us out of here? Where grace abounds and the God who created science laughs at our mere sinful, wicked, hell-bound ways. May God, the throne bearer, <laughs> the cup bearer, and the love be with you always. <laughs> <laughs> You've been listening to the Jabberjaw Podcast Network, jabberjawmedia.com. Shh.